millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is Lady Margaret Beaufort. Part one. Hello. Before I start this episode, I'm going to give a rare trigger warning. I'll be discussing suicide. So if this is a topic that you're not comfortable hearing about, this episode might not be for you. I will tell you within the episode what minute to skip if you want to listen to the rest of the episode. I don't usually add trigger warnings because history should make us all a little uncomfortable. But I feel strongly about this. If you are struggling with these feelings, please reach out to a trusted source for help. I will be including a list of websites to start with in the description. Please check there if this applies to you. Now on to Margaret's story. I want everyone listening to think back to any portrayal you've ever seen of Lady Margaret Beaufort. You've seen historical fiction of her, and I want you to then um, just chuck it out the window. First, no, she had nothing to do with the deaths of the son of Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville, Edward V and Richard of York. This is likely a 21st century creation of fiction. Second, she and her daughter-in-law appear to have had a great relationship, including sharing jokes publicly with each other. Finally, while she was deeply pious and spiritual, She was also a lavish and fashionable member of the upper class who wore her worth on her body, literally. Oh, and she didn't appear to barely put up with her final two husbands. Described by historian Neville Williams as Henry VII's devout and rather awesome mother, she was nothing short of a force, driven to make her place in a world that was not built for powerful women. Much like her eight times great-grandmother, Matilda, she would be proud to see her son become king. Unlike Matilda, though, she had the political awareness not to try to claim the throne for herself. With that, I would like to show you all these things through her episodes. So let's get started. For this and Margaret's subsequent episodes, I will be using Nicola Tallis's Uncrowned Queen, The Fateful Life of Margaret Beaufort, Tudor Matriarch, and Nathan Amon's The House of Beaufort, the bastard line that captured the crown. If you're at all interested in the near environment, I highly recommend Nicola Tallis's work in general. She has an amazing way of describing the things around her subjects that point to their wealth, influence, and power. 
Her descriptions of buildings, furnishings, fabrics, and the jewels is first rate and takes me right back to some of my favorite uni lectures. I just want to acknowledge the amount of sources available for this subject and the next. I think back to the women covered in the second miniseries and how they were usually tiny mentions in the biographies of the men who surrounded them. I have no doubt those women lived full lives that were interesting and that we know almost nothing about for the simple reason that they were born the wrong sex. The increase in sources is almost overwhelming, and while it makes my job so much easier in many ways, it also makes it harder. I have to pick things to cut out. So if I miss your favorite story or anecdote about these subjects, please let me know, and I'll see if I can make a comic or shoehorn it into a later episode. I don't want to leave out our favorites. A quick note, I will refer to Lady Margaret Beaufort as Margaret or Margaret Beaufort throughout most of these episodes because her full name is a lot to say constantly. But there is another Margaret Beaufort. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, this Margaret was her cousin through her uncle Edmund Beaufort, who was approximately four years older than this episode's star. So remember when you're looking them up, the Beaufort family seemed to have only four male names, John, Henry, Edmund, and Thomas, and two female names, Margaret and Joan. Am I joking? Mostly, but take a look at their family tree. Lady Margaret Beaufort was the only legitimate child of John Beaufort, the first Duke of Somerset, and his wife, Margaret Beecham. You may remember that John Beaufort's brother, Edmund Beaufort, the second Duke of Somerset, Margaret Beecham, who I'll refer to using her title, Duchess of Somerset, from here on out to avoid confusion, was distantly related to Thomas de Beecham of the Lord's Appellant fame. While Margaret was her father's only legitimate child, she was her mother's eighth child. What's even more impressive, her mother would have a ninth child seven years later, and all nine children would survive to adulthood. Margaret's nieces and nephews would marry into prominent families and play a great role in the reign of her grandson. Margaret was born on the 31st of May, 1443, at Bletsoe Castle. Before I get more into Margaret's life, I need to have a quick legal chat. You'll all remember from John O'Gaunt's episodes that his Beaufort children were born out of wedlock to Catherine Swinford during Gaunt's marriage to Constance of Castile. Nathan Amon details this all very clearly in his book, and I recommend looking there for further details. But the basic outline is this. They were declared legitimate by the Pope and English Parliament in 1397. This legitimation made them eligible for all, quote, honors, dignities, preeminences, estates, degrees, and offices, end quote. Richard II was actually close to his Beaufort cousins, though they also got along well with their half-brother and sisters, and was seemingly happy to do this for his uncle and cousins, further laying paid to the idea that Gaunt was going to usurp him. A decade after this occurred, John Beaufort, Margaret's grandfather, really, they do only use four names, petitioned his half-brother, Henry IV, to reconfirm his and his siblings' legitimacy. Now, there had been a big change in England since the original act had occurred. Richard II had no children and liked switching up his stated heir regularly. Henry IV, though, did not lack for heirs. He had four sons and two daughters. 
1407, the king's oldest son was only 21, and his youngest was 17. They had plenty of time to have children of their own. I think someone might have forgotten to tell them that, though. Henry IV wouldn't want any threats to their claim, so he confirmed his half-sibling's legitimacy, but added the phrase, Accepta dignitate regali, which means, except for the royal dignity. It's important to note that this variation on the original text was not passed through Parliament. As we should know by now, Parliament does have the right to pass these laws and statutes. Legally, this phrase does not hold water, but it appears that Henry IV was hoping it would never become an issue. For those who are curious, at the time in England, it's likely that legally and socially, Henry IV's half-brothers would each follow his sons in the line of succession, as we describe it today. There wasn't really such a thing then. This is because brothers outrank sisters, and their claim was through their shared father. So, at the time of Henry IV's ascension in 1399, in order, after Henry IV's four sons and two daughters would be John Beaufort and Thomas Beaufort, their brother Henry was a bishop, and this would have likely ruled him out, though he could have renounced his religious vows. He would have come before his brother Thomas if he did. Following them would be Philippa of Lancaster, Queen of Portugal, and her progeny. Then Elizabeth of Lancaster, Duchess of Exeter, and her progeny. Then Catherine of Lancaster, Queen of Castile, and her progeny. And finally, Joan Beaufort, and her extensive number of progeny. However, it's questionable if Parliament would ever accept a foreign king. As you will all remember from the Richard Duke of York episodes, nothing goes the way Henry IV planned it. His sons and daughters managed to have only two legitimate children between the six of them, the future Henry VI and Rupert of Palatine, though to be fair, his daughters died in the effort to have children, as was so common in these days. So, I guess a little question for all of you is, would Henry IV's changes have held up had the Wars of the Roses never happened? For all we know, Edward of Westminster could have had as many children as Edward III had he survived, or he really could have been it. Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou could have had further children. Just a little alternate history for all of you. Back to Margaret. By the time she was born, only one of Henry IV's sons, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, was living, and Henry IV's only English grandson was childless. So using that list above, Margaret was third in line after Gloucester and her father. Margaret's life should have been easy, but the Hundred Years' War wasn't easy for anyone. Her father, John Beaufort, was a cousin of the king, Henry VI, and his uncle, Henry Beaufort, was a powerful member of council. However, John Beaufort's life didn't seem to go as planned. During the reign of Henry IV, his father, also named John, died when he was only six, and his mother scandalously and quickly married his half-cousin, Thomas, Duke of Clarence, the second son of Henry IV. In defense of Henry IV, he did delay this wedding until the widow had served a full one-year mourning period. He was actually concerned about the potential for half-sibling rivalry, since the children of Thomas would be in the line to the throne. Henry IV, sadly, had nothing to worry about. Henry V would become king in 1413, 
John Beaufort became the Earl of Somerset when his older brother Henry died in 1418 during the Siege of Rouen. Patrons, this siege is discussed in the Henry V special episode. John was only 14 at this point. In 1421, his stepfather, Thomas of Clarence, would take John and his two younger brothers, Thomas and Edmund, to France with him as part of Henry V's ongoing push to take the country. On the 22nd of March that year, Thomas of Clarence would die, without legitimate progeny, at the Battle of Bourges. John Beaufort and his younger brother Thomas were taken prisoner. Edmund Beaufort, yes, he from Richard of York's episodes, actually avoided capture, which was a blessing. John was held in French custody for 17 years. Thomas was actually released in 1430. As a younger son, he was a less valuable hostage than his older brother. Thankfully, it does appear that their mother was a competent administrator and cared for John's estates well. In the end, he would have to pay his own ransom. Once he returned, he was treated well by his family. By this point, Henry VI was king. John was married to Margaret Beecham sometime between 1439 and 1442. While he was a well-regarded military leader, his last command did not go well. In 1443, John was created Duke of Somerset. In August of that year, he was charged to march to Gascony and went to Brittany instead. In his defense, he was unwell both physically and possibly mentally. He returned to England, probably rather embarrassed. He was banished from court and awaiting a charge of treason due to his performance in France. In May 1444, he died. And this is the bit you'll want to skip if the trigger warning applies to you. If the trigger warning applies to you, you'll want to skip ahead 60 seconds from this moment. While today, in many cases, suicide is seen as a mischance to have helped someone, and rightly sad, the time it was seen as both a personal failing and a sin. Just the suggestion of it can stain a family. And that is what happened in John Beaufort's case. While the two sources that covered his death disagree to the cause, even the suggestion is enough to cause embarrassment. I hope that today we'd be more forgiving. At the time, that wasn't an option. This is the end of the trigger warning. At the time of her father's death, Margaret's mother was pregnant. Sadly, she would either lose the child or they would die not long after birth. Because Margaret was not a boy, her father's earldom passed to his surviving brother, Edmund Beaufort. His dukedom was recreated for his brother, though Edmund is still referred to as the second Duke of Somerset, even though he's the first Duke, second creation. While Margaret wouldn't receive her father's title, she would inherit his substantial wealth. And in a brilliant move on John's part, her custody and marriage rights had been previously promised to her mother. This promise lasted all of four days. Margaret was the senior Beaufort claimant with her father's death, regardless of any royal claims. Henry VI, by now an active 22-year-old king, decided to offer her wardship to his leading magnate, William de la Pole, the Earl of Suffolk, 
you should remember him, or at least his banishment. Thela Pohl had one son, John, by his wife, Alice Chaucer. Yes, the writer with the same surname was her grandfather. And after this message, you'll hear more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. John would be betrothed to Anne Beecham in 1446, but she would die in 1449. While Margaret was Delapole's ward, he didn't have physical possession of her. She actually remained in her mother's household. Due to being raised with her half-siblings, including, surprisingly, her father's illegitimate daughter, Tyson, who was born during his captivity in France, she was close with all of her siblings. Those illustrious marriages I mentioned for their children were due greatly to Margaret's influence. Her maternal older siblings, the Sinjins, Really quick aside for my non-British listeners, if you're searching for the family name, search for St. John, were a large part of her childhood. There were seven of them, after all. Nicola Tallis even shares that Margaret embroidered a Sinjin family tree, which is very period-appropriate, and I think shows a young girl who cared for her older brothers and sisters, even though they didn't share a father. Margaret's mother made sure she was well-educated, not just in the classic tasks expected of a woman, such as needlework and estate management. Remember, men die in war and women have to take care of what's left in many cases. But she also instilled in her a love for reading, music, and language. This household full of love and learning was also filled with music and luxury. The Duchess of Somerset was a great patron of performers, and Margaret would continue this later in her royal life. Their castle was also richly appointed, which is something Margaret will also favor as she ages. 
While her upbringing was luxurious, it was also pious. One of her sisters even became a nun. Religion wasn't just something that people participated in occasionally. It was a huge part of life. Prayers and masses were heard daily, and sleeping in on Sunday just did not happen. Margaret's religious devotion is well documented, and it likely started at a young age. Due to growing up in her mother's house, Margaret would have been present for her mother's third marriage. At some point after mid-April 1447, when the license was granted, the Duchess of Somerset became Baroness Wells as the second wife of Leonelda Wells. While this might have been seen as a step down, it was at least by all accounts a love match. This marriage would bring with it five step-siblings, and in 1450, Margaret's youngest brother, John. 1450 was a big year for Margaret, and for everyone in England. Her guardian, Delapole, was struggling politically and decided to protect his son John's interests. To do this, he wed John to Margaret. Don't worry, this marriage wasn't consummated at the time. Margaret was six and John was seven. They weren't even living together. Even though they were a married couple, they obviously couldn't consent, so the marriage wouldn't be valid until they reached the canonical ages of 12 and 14, respectively. Margaret would never consider this marriage valid, and it would be dissolved in 1453 through an annulment. John would eventually marry Elizabeth of York. No, not the one for the next <laughs> series of episodes. This one was the daughter of Richard III, Duke of York. Hmm, I'm sure this will all end well. You'll all hopefully remember what happened to Margaret's father-in-law less than five months after her marriage. For those who forgot, he had the shortest exile ever involving being captured by pirates while sailing for Calais, followed by a swift show trial and execution by beheading at sea. Interestingly, Margaret and John's papal dispensation would arrive after his father's death. The young couple's mothers had made sure it was applied for after realizing they were related. Yes, everyone is related. How they missed it before the wedding is beyond me. Alice Chaucer was the granddaughter of Philippa Rowett, Margaret Swinford's sister, who was Margaret Beaufort's great-grandmother, making them related in the fourth and fifth degree. You'll remember that 1450 was the year of Jack Cade's rebellion in southern England, followed by Richard III, Duke of York's confrontation with Henry VI. And then the year was capped off with the arrest of Margaret's uncle, Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset. While Somerset would be released, it would have been unsettling to Margaret and her family. Over the next few years, relations between the Crown, including their supporter Edmund Beaufort on one side, and York on the other would continue to degrade. If you want more on that from the inside, check out Richard III, Duke of York's four episodes. Margaret, though, was safe from this for the moment. Her stepfather was serving the king in Calais, and her mother had her well protected in their properties. In February of 1453, Margaret would be presented to the king. Her mother had been ordered to attend court and to bring Margaret with her. Margaret was getting divorced. Well, the king was dissolving her unconsummated marriage that was only in word. And remember, Margaret never considered that marriage to be a true marriage. She, in fact, lists her future husbands in her wills and papers, but not this first one. Since the marriage was unconsummated, the church and legal minds would probably agree with her. Henry VI had a new husband in mind for his young cousin, his half-brother, Edmund Tudor. 
Quickly, decades after the fact, Margaret shared with her confessor, John Fisher, Bishop of Rochester, yes, he will later be executed by Henry VIII, that her betrothal to Edmund Beaufort was precipitated on a vision she had after extensive prayer. Fisher would imply that the then nine-year-old was able to choose her own husband. Nicola Tallis is pretty confident that the king had already chosen for her, but shares that the story does show an early example of Margaret's piety, which should never be ignored. Regardless of Margaret's visions, Henry VI assigned her wardship to his half-brothers, Edmund and Jasper Tudor. This would have been lucrative for the young men, who were 23 to 25 and 21 respectively. Henry VI, Edmund, and Jasper were maternal half-brothers through their shared mother, Catherine of Valois. Edmund and Jasper's father, though, was a Welsh squire, Owen Tudor. While he himself wasn't illustrious, his family line could be traced back to some illustrious members of the Welsh aristocracy. Owen and Catherine had four or five children together, and it's actually unclear if they were ever legally married or just cohabitating. But it appears their children were treated as legitimate. Owen Tudor had been imprisoned in 1438 and 1439 when this relationship came to light after Catherine's death in 1438. He was released by his stepson, Henry VI, who seemed to take a liking to the father figure who had no claim to his throne. Henry even made sure his brothers were referred to as princes, and looked after their education, hence the close relationship between the brothers. In order of precedence, his brothers would only rank below dukes and ahead of all earls within the kingdom. While Margaret's next husband was chosen, she was still a child, and it appears the plan was for her to remain in her mother's household until she was old enough to be married. I've discussed it many times before, while the canonical age for marriage was 12 for girls. Very few marriages were consummated at that age. Remember, being physically able to give birth is not something 12-year-olds are usually ready for, even if they are actually able to do so. While scientific knowledge of the 15th century pales in comparison to ours, mothers and midwives would have known that allowing girls to have children too early was dangerous. Childbirth was dangerous in the best circumstances, and being a young mother is not the best circumstances. But for Margaret, events outside of anyone's control would not give her the best chance at a safe motherhood. In August of 1453, Henry VI had his first mental break, when he fell into a stupor and was unable to communicate with those around him. In October that year, Queen Margaret gave birth to last week's subject, hers and Henry VI's only child, Edward of Westminster. With the king incapacitated, Queen Margaret must have felt both so alone and so afraid. Rumors were circulating that the child wasn't the king's, and he couldn't put a stop to it by acknowledging his son. For Margaret Beaufort, this meant that the court quickly sorted itself into factions. Queen Margaret and Edmund Beaufort on one side, and Richard Duke of York, his brother-in-law Richard Neville, Earl of Salisbury, and Neville's son, Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick on the other. Again, please listen to the last five episodes to get a firm grasp of the politics at the time. But in March 1454, Richard of York was appointed Protector of England and the Church by Parliament. Margaret's uncle, Edmund Beaufort, was again held in the Tower awaiting trial. The Queen was sent away from court, and any power Margaret's relatives wielded was gone. 
while York was in control. Margaret's guardians, though, Edmund and Jasper, were reformers. While they were completely loyal to the person of their half-brother, they saw that Richard, Duke of York, wasn't wrong, and that the kingdom's finances and military situation needed reformed. From a practical standpoint, this makes a lot of sense. By correcting problems within the kingdom, Edmund and Jasper could protect their brother's rule and safeguard their nephew, Edward's, inheritance. But we know this reform movement did not last. At Christmas 1454, Henry VI began to recover. This was great for his wife and son. It temporarily put a stop to the rumors of the prince's parentage. But it was a disaster in every other way. By May, the following year, Margaret's uncle, Edmund Beaufort, would be dead. The king would be under York's control, and the royalist faction would be, at least temporarily, utterly devastated. Margaret's betrothed, Edmund Tudor, was not present at the First Battle of St. Albans. He was apparently dealing with ill health throughout this period. His brother Jasper, though, was and was injured in the fighting, but he would, of course, recover. While Margaret, as a woman, (laughs) wasn't at the fighting, she would have known the outcome. Her uncle was succeeded by his son, her cousin. Henry Beaufort. Really, four names. Henry Beaufort had been injured in the fighting, but would recover. Less than a fortnight after the battle, Margaret turned 12. As I mentioned earlier, it was unlikely that she was originally planned to live with her husband so early. It's likely their wedding had been planned, but their consummation would have been delayed. The events at the end of May changed this. While Margaret was the legal age to marry, She was still, according to all accounts, a child. While she would have hit puberty, as we'll see, she actually looked very young and childlike. She hadn't finished growing by any stretch of the imagination. Still, health concerns and social custom took a backseat to politics. From a political perspective, this marriage was amazing. After the king's son, Margaret was theoretically next in line to the throne of England. Edmund Tudor had a claim to the French throne through his and Henry VI's shared mother, Catherine of Valois, though this claim was weak. There is no date for their marriage recorded, but it would have happened by September of 1455. Papal dispensation had actually been received in 1450. They were related through the seventh degree on both sides through Philip III of France. Margaret became the Countess of Richmond upon marrying Edmund. Edmund, as you probably know already, decided to consummate the marriage not long after the actual wedding. There are a few royal examples of young brides. Isabella of France, the mother of Edward III, Mary de Bowen, the mother of Henry V, and Eleanor of Castile, the mother of Edward II. All were 12 or 13 at the time of their marriage. Evidence shows the first two delayed consummation until they were closer to 16 or even 18. And there was a significant age gap between the bride and groom in the first example. Isabella was at least 11 years younger than her husband, Edward II. The third couple, though, consummated their marriage not long after the wedding. Eleanor of Castile and her husband, Edward I, were actually rather enamored with each other from their first meeting. Thankfully, they were very close in age, so it's not as creepy as it could be. Eleanor would give birth to a stillborn child less than a year after their wedding. After this, the couple were kept apart, at least in private, until she was deemed old enough to safely carry a child. None of these scenarios were what happened to Margaret. Her groom was significantly older than her, 
and he needed her to give birth to his child for his hold on her vast wealth to continue should she die. She actually fell pregnant not long after their wedding, especially if we take into account September 55 as the date. Every time I read or write about this, I am completely appalled by Edmund's decision, and I'm not alone. Those alive at the time were horrified, and historians since have been equally scathing. Oddly, though, while Margaret was physically injured from this experience, more on that in a moment, and likely psychologically scarred, she did link herself to Edmund throughout her life. She asked that his arms be incorporated in her tomb, and she had masses said for his soul regularly. Nicola Tallis suggests that this might be due to her linking her son to his father and the dynasty they created. More than a love for her second husband, Margaret did appear to not love any of her husbands, at least not in the romantic way. Margaret and Edmund would move to his lands in Wales in the autumn of 1455. While Wales had theoretically been English since the conquest of Wales by Edward I in the late 13th century, it was not a stable hold. As you'll remember back in the Mortimer episodes, Wales had rebelled during the reigns of Henry IV and V under the leadership of the last Welsh Prince of Wales, Owain Glendower. Again, please forgive my Welsh pronunciations. While Glendower had likely been dead for 50 years at this point, or secretly still alive at 101 years old, you never know, there was still tension in Wales between the English nobility and the Welsh nobility. It's easy to think that Edmund would fall into the latter, but he had been raised by the English king and had been a member of English court. He may have had a Welsh name and father, but he was the king's man. His rival in the area of Wales he held was Gruffid Ap Nicholas. Again, I apologize for my pronunciations. While Margaret was realizing she was pregnant, her husband was preparing for war with Gruffid Ap Nicholas. In August of 1456, Edmund took Camarthen Castle from Gruffid Ap Nicholas. There was just one problem in taking this castle. Its constable was Richard of York. In unsurprising news, York raised forces to take the castle back. He did so successfully. While it would have been expected that York would ransom Edmund, this doesn't appear to be the case. Remember, he had always worked well with the Tudor brothers and likely just wanted to protect his holdings. Instead, Edmund was released, but didn't go home. It appears he contracted the plague at some point during his captivity or not long after his release. He died on the 1st or 3rd of November, 1456. Margaret was 13, pregnant, and now a widow, living in a castle in Wales, far away from her family and supporters. Oh, and the plague was running amok through Wales. Do remember that pregnant women are often more at risk for catching disease due to their pregnancies. As someone who spent the most recent pandemic pregnant, this is a scary fact that wouldn't have been unknown or unnoticed at the time. I'm going to stop this episode here. There will be three more episodes, so don't worry, we will hear Margaret's full story. I need to keep these consistent in length, or else there will be one huge episode and three smaller ones. Thank you again for your support. Please get your questions in for the end of the Not So Many series review. If I time this correctly, this should also fall around the one year anniversary of this show, and I'm eternally grateful to all of you for listening. It will be a combined end of series and Q&A episode, and I'm really looking forward to this. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Past. 
I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at PastPod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash PastPod. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.